0: Thank you for tuning into What's the Wi-Fi Passer, a place where we have discussions about topics and issues that are relevant to the teens in our generation and how to point them towards the gospel. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about this podcast, please email Joshua Shively at joshuas at calvary.com. Let's
1: turn to Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, as we continue through this. All right, so... Last week, we taught a Christmas message. Don't turn your back on me, Santi. Um, <laughs> turn your back on me. Wow, dude. Yeah, can you? <laughs> Alright, so last week we started this Christmas kind of series, a three-part Christmas series. Uh, last week, just kind of hitting on the topic of what what's Christmas all about, uh, and we highlighted the... Gospel narrative and the Christmas narrative in Luke. We also highlighted Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, which we're going to read again tonight. And then we focused on John three sixteen and really broke that down for like kind of what was the whole purpose of Jesus coming? What's the whole purpose of Christmas? Um, I offended somebody last week and I want to apologize. I, I started knocking on Hallmark movies and uh, they actually <laughs> almost left the church um, because I was, I, was, I was harping on Hallmark movies. So I just want to apologize to those people in the crowd tonight. Um, I, 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 I don't know if I'll repent to the point of watching those movies, but I, I do apologize for harping on them and uh, calling that out. So, anyway. <laughs> it's the Beckers, okay? They like Hallmark movies. <laughs> Read me. Um, they go get their in and out and they watch Hallmark movies. <laughs> <laughs> He's turning so red. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, so, but we talked about just like kind of all the fluffiness of Christmas, right? We, we kind of talked about the fluffiness of, of what Christmas is. We talked about the, the like little ceremonies and the family traditions that we we do right? within our own families or within our own lives. And I asked the question, like, what does that have to do with Christmas? And then we went into John 3.16 and really really dissected that verse and really depicted the reason Jesus came and, and what the whole purpose of Him being here, the whole purpose of of who God is. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 there, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. And we really focused on that term, God, in that fullness of time, in God's due season, which was that 2,000-some years ago, while the Roman government was in control of this the known world, basically, God decided to send His Son. And, And in that time, it really reset the world. And the main big point that I wanted to kind of cast to you last week was that that, birth of Jesus, that little baby Jesus that we see in the nativity scene, it cast the, the biggest, most gigantic shadow on all of history and all of eternity that that baby ever could, that any baby ever could. And nothing has ever happened before like that. Nothing will ever happen like that again. It was this specific moment in time when God became man and to dwell among us and, and to, to really set everything straight. And so we talked about that last week, and so this week, going through Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7, what are you guys dealing at over there? It's so funny. You guys are like turning all red over there. And, like... All right, so the next section in, in Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law, so that... We might receive adoption as sons, because you are sons. God sent forth His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, "A Father." So you are no longer a slave, but son. And if a son, then an heir to God. So this week, I want to focus on born of a woman and the the, the real meaning of this: born of a virgin. And if you've gone to church, if you've been raised in the church, you hear it term like that, and it doesn't really mean much to you, right? You've heard it your whole life. Okay, Jesus was born of a woman born of a virgin, right? Virgin Mary. And we've all heard that. And we're all like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But does it really? Like, ask yourself, if you had never been to church before, if you would never grew up in the church and you were sitting here tonight and this goofball is up here saying, yeah, Jesus was born from a virgin, you'd be like, does not compute, goofball. Like, that doesn't make sense. That, that can't happen. It takes two to tango, right? It, 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 that cannot physically happen. That cannot physically happen in this world. I mean, think about the, like, the complete ludicrousy of it. Think about it. And yet, Scripture t- says it all through the New Testament, prophesies it in the Old Testament, that this Savior will be born of a woman who was a virgin. She never knew a man. She, she had never, she was a virgin. She had never had sexual relations with a man. And you guys, think of that to the world. Think of that. If you've never heard that before, if you had never heard that before, and you sat in here at night, how, like, insane that would sound. You'd be like, these people are crazy. Like, they're crazy. That does not work. That does not compute. And yet, we sit here tonight as Christians believing this. Like, believing this. By faith and by the word of God, that no, that this Savior was born from a virgin. That that there were no genetically, there were no, like, physical way for this to happen other than a miracle from God. We sit here and we believe that tonight. It's kind of crazy, huh? You ever thought of it that way? Like, okay, we're a little wacko. <laughs> but see, tonight I want to go over that. I want to talk about that. Because it's more than just this born of a virgin. But it's this word incarnation. And truly what that means to us as Christians, that it's not just this wacko weird thing that we believe. There's, and you guys, there's a lot of cults out there, a lot of Christian cults that believe wacko weird things. Okay, there are. Study the Mormons. Right? Study what they truly believe. There's some weird stuff, you know? These magical glasses and golden tablets. And there's some odd stuff, Right? But see, to, be, to say that this Savior that we believe in, this Jesus, was born of a woman, born of a virgin, and that we believe it, and what it truly means to us, what this word incarnation really means to us. So going through this verse in Galatians, this section of born of a woman, I want to just hit on that tonight. I really want to study that tonight. I want to dissect it, and I want to open it up to you, so that you can walk out of this place tonight, not only understanding more of what Christmas is, right? we talked about last week why Jesus came, but understanding the significance, and this is just one point, you guys. If we were to go through truly the, the whole Christmas story and what everything Jesus did and what, what every symbolic thing that happened that was prophesied that actually came to fruition, what it all means, we could, we could go take a lot of time doing that. But just one point that you can walk out of here tonight, walk out of youth group, understanding just a little bit more of the, the significance of why and how he came and what it did for us. All right, you guys okay with that? You got your thinking caps on tonight? Everyone okay? to eat their Wheaties? Have a good protein dinner? Right? You guys okay? No? No, I'm just, like, it's a saying. Like, did you have your Wheaties today? You know, like, do you have your chicken Right? I don't know, dude. Come on. Okay. All right. Father, we come before you, and I thank you so much for this group. I thank you so much for these high schoolers, what you're doing in them, what you're changing in them, how you're moving them and shaping them. God, I just thank you for this group, uh, what they mean to me, and just the blessing it is to teach them and to pour out to them. Lord, I just pray and ask that we would all grow through this sermon. We would all grow through this teaching. You would speak through me. You just I'm an inadequate man. And Lord, they need you. So Father, I just thank you and praise you for this time. In your name. Amen. All right. So like I was talking about, Old Testament, New Testament. Like, How much does the Bible really talk about this? virgin birth. One of the significant verses, if you've, if you've been to a Christmas service, you've heard it before. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 13 through 16 says, Then he said, Hear now, O Israel o, of David, it is a small thing to you to weary men, but you will weary my God also. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin virgin shall conceive and get, bear, bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, he, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. All right, there's this prophecy that Isaiah gives, this prophecy that Isaiah gives some 1,500 years before Jesus ever walked the earth, before Mary and Joseph ever even thought of being betrothed. Right, there, there, there's this there's this prophet Isaiah. He, he prophesies about the coming king, about the coming Messiah, and he says the specific thing about this prophecy is that he would be born of a virgin. And that's pretty specific, isn't it? Right? It's not that, oh, he'll be born in this kind of general area, and he'll be born to a man and a woman. Whoa. No. Like he'll be born of a virgin. Okay? There's other prophecies. There's actually some 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus himself fulfilled. If we took the time to go through those, the, the numbers, the mathematical equation that, that, to that that, that means that one man will fulfill some 300 plus, plus prophecies, specific prophecies. The, the mathematical equation is insane. It's like 10th to the 25th power. right? It's, it's, it's a huge number, right? Liam, that's a big number, right? A big number. That's a big number. <laughs> so you guys, like, this is just one prophecy, one specific prophecy that Isaiah speaks of this Messiah. Now this prophecy is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Now we jump to the, the New Testament and you know, like I said last week, the book of Luke, you know, chapters one and two is usually the Bible story. It's the one we read on, on, on Christmas morning when we talk about the, the narrative and the birth of Jesus. But the book of Matthew specifically says, as the Holy Spirit speaks to Matthew, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now here, the the fruition, the completion of this prophecy, as Matthew writes it, that this virgin would give birth to a son and call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which is God with us. Now I want you to kind of put a pin in that in your mind, this this manual, God with us, and what that truly means as we jump into the word incarnation. God with us. right? God, the creator of the universe, with man. God with us. I mean you think about it like when you go to some place and you go to a place where you're fearful or there's some anxiety or there's some there's some worry and you've got your friends around you, how much more are you comfortable in that place? Right? When you're with somebody that that you can trust, when you're with somebody that that you can just know that they've got things covered, and you go to a place with them, like how much, how much, how, how comforted are you? I just think like Mia, right? I'm gonna pick on you for a second. Anytime she walks up to her dad, what does she do? She puts her arm through his. Anytime. Sorry, Mia. I'm gonna, I, I love it. I absolutely love it because she does. Ben's a pretty big guy. He's a, he's a stout dude, right? Like, think of Carter in 10 years, right? He's going to fill out, right? Ben's a big guy. He is. He's a big dude, right? Carter's like this. Ben's like this, right? But the idea is, like, Mia walks up to her dad and just, she just does. I think it's just natural for you. But it's beautiful because that's your comforter, right? You know, like, I, I'm good with Daddy. <laughs> he's probably the biggest dude at church here, honestly. And it's like, like, no one's going to mess with me when I'm with my dad. And think about that when you're with your father or your mom or, or someone that comforts you. They are with you, and you are comforted with them. And see, this is the idea that as the prophecy is fulfilled in Matthew and the, the Gospels of this Messiah being born to a virgin, and she would call him Emmanuel, God with us. It's the fruition of it. It's so much more than just a virgin birth, some wacky prophecy. But it's that this king, this Messiah would be born, and his name would be Emmanuel, God with us, and it would comfort us. This was true, you guys. This is a true and not just a title for Jesus, but this was his character. This was his character. This was like his identification. You know, we can, we can, I can know your name, but like if I looked at your driver's license and saw your weight and your real hair color and your eye color and your height, right? Like I would know more about you. That would be your identification. I could look at you and go, oh yeah, that's you, right? I know, okay, I can see this is, this is you. It matches the same height and weight and hair color, It'd be like the same way as you'd look at Jesus and, you know, there were, the name Jesus was pretty popular. Right? In Hebrew, it's Jesus. In Greek, it was Joshua. I'm sorry. In Hebrew, it was Joshua. In Greek, it was Jesus. It was a popular name, right? Yeshua. But they would know, okay, this is Jesus, right? He's from Nazareth. Oh, yeah, his parents have that kind of wacky story where she got pregnant before they got married. But then you I, look into who he is, his identification, God with us. That identifies him, identified his character. It was so much more than just a title, so looking at the Old Testament, seeing the fruition of it in the New Testament, we look now, I want to show you guys the Apostles' Creed. Now I picked this because I don't know how many of you actually know the Apostles' Creed, but it's such a, a staple to our heritage as Christians. After the Council of Nicaea, the, the remaining apostles during that time created this creed so that the, the truth of the gospel would continue on. And it was almost this poetic, this poetic scripture, and, and you know, yeah, it's not in the Bible, but the Apostles' wrote it in a sense. And I believe the Holy Spirit spoke through them so that through the ages, that what we believe would be sure and, and, and it would be foundational. So that wouldn't change. Wouldn't change through the years because there, there always will be a counterfeit, guys. There always will be a, a cult or some type of branch of, of some type of spirituality that, that will take away the deity of Jesus or take away the virgin birth or take away his physical form and say he was just spirit or, or they'll, they'll say all kinds of wacky things. But see, the apostles wrote this creed down so that you and I would understand the significance of the, the things that happened, of the, the things that the narrative tells us actually took place. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, that's important, and was buried. He descended to hell. Then the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is sealed at the or seated, I'm sorry, at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's what we believe in. That's, that's our creed. That's our song. That's our, our battle cry. And in the middle of that we see this, this truth where it says who was con- or that says, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of Virgin Mary. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. See, the Apostles' Creed is old, but age hasn't diminished its truth or its importance, has it? We can say the same thing. We, have, we believe this, right? And I hope that every one of you, if, if you were to read that, would say in confidence and 100%, yeah, I believe that. I, I, would, I would live for that. I would die for that, because I believe it. And there's truth in it. You know, simply put, the creed affirms that Jesus had no earthly human father, right? So here, here we come back to that virgin birth, right? The, the significance of it, the realness of it. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. He had no earthly father, right? He had no earthly father. Jesus was not born of man. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, it then declares that Jesus was indeed born, but born of a woman who never before had intimate relations with a man, and these are just the facts. This says three important, like, indeed absolutely essential things about Jesus Christ. So when we look at this point of this born of a virgin, he had no earthly father, born of a woman who did not know a man, but he was born nonetheless, right? So think about this. Let's, let's kind of calculate this together. If we believe, as the Apostle Creed said, that Jesus is the third part of the Trinity, fully God, has been with the Father for all eternity, always has been God, always will be God, We talked about it last week in in John chapter one, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Genesis chapter one, one, in the beginning God, right? Fully God, yet now we're reading born of a woman. Naturally born, right? Not completely naturally, virgin birth, but born just as you and I and every other human being in all of history has been born, right? Was developed in the womb and born of a woman. So now we see God Miraculous birth, being born just like you and I. Now, this tells us three things, right? First, it says that he is God, right? Because no one else could have done this. <laughs> if anyone ever comes to you and says, oh, I'm pregnant, and it was miraculous, you're like, no, you're a liar. <laughs> Something else happened there. Something else happened. It's not, you know, there's no Holy Spirit involved here. Um, so we see that he is fully God. Something miraculous had to happen. His conception was absolutely unique, Okay. Second, it says that Jesus is a man. Now, don't underestimate this, guys, that God became man because he was born of a woman, just like every other baby. We talked about this. Even though his conception was unique, he was still born just like you and I. So number two, that he was fully man. Third, it refers to the great truth theologian call incarnation, right? Incarnation. This is, this is a real theological term, but yet it's something that should like, be a part of your vocabulary Maybe if someone asks you, like, why do you believe Jesus is the way? In a world where there's millions of ways, in a world where our society and secularism tells us, like, every way is the way. Or maybe it's this giant salad bar and you're like, religions, and you're like, oh, I'll take a little bit of tomato this and a little bit of Buddhist salad over here. And and we kind of make our own salad, right? Our big old chef salad of, of religion. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm the way. And one of the ways we know that is because of the incarnation. And this is what scripture tells us. It refers to the event and the phenomenon of God becoming man. The New Testament teaches it over and over again that Jesus is born fully God and fully man. I got some of the verses in the the text there, in the notes. John 1, verses 1 through 2. Romans 1, 3 through 4. Galatians 4, 4 again. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. These are all verses over and over again talking about the incarnation that fully God became fully man. And this is important. We have to know this foundation or fundamental truth of our faith that God fully became man. The fact of the incarnation is clearly stated, but the meaning of the incarnation is also important to understand. Right, so the facts that lead up to it are important, but also the meaning of it, yes. What it truly means for you and I. Okay? Maybe you can sit here tonight and go, yeah, I've heard this my whole life. I do believe it. I believe God is almighty, so he could do something like this. But what does it mean for me? What does it do for my faith? I see the incarnation, something that we're studying tonight, something like this should be so impactful in your faith, it should empower you. It should give you boldness. It should humble you for what God has done through this act. So first let's go over what the incarnation isn't because there's a lot of fallacies out there. So let's go over what it is not. Okay, so it isn't that Jesus is part man and part God. And some people want to tell you like, there are some theories out there that when he came down, he was man. And then when he, the spirit came upon him, when he was baptized, that's when he got the Christ spirit. And then when sin was laid upon him, he lost the Christ spirit. Like there's some weird theories in there. There's all kinds of wackadoodle stuff. So it isn't that he's part God and part man. He is fully man and fully God. It is, isn't that Jesus was God on one side and human on the other side. It doesn't, Or God on the inside and human on the outside. It doesn't work like that. For the Incarnation to work, for this this whole thing to work, he had to be fully God and fully man. It isn't that Jesus was only human in his flesh and only God in his spirit. It can't be that. The Incarnation is not subtraction but addition. Jesus did not empty himself of divine nature or any divine attributes, but he only emptied himself of his status and equality with the Father, taking a subordinate position by the act of his will. Philippians 5, or 2, verse 5 through 8 describes this. Not that Jesus gave up his godhood to become man, but that he humbled himself to become man. He did not lose his godhood. There was no part of his divinity that he gave up, subtracting from himself to become man, but that he fully kept his absolute 100% of his divinity, but then added on manhood, added on flesh, added on, added on humanity to that godhood. This is important though Jesus could let go of his status he could never stop being god some have taught that Jesus if Jesus lost his deity when talking when taking our sin on the cross but if Jesus could ever stop being god he could have never been god to begin with if he ever gave up godhood he couldn't like god can't give up himself he is always god always will be through all eternity he is god so he can't give up himself and if he ever could he wouldn't be god So then the logical question, okay, what is, what is incarnation? What does this mean for us? Okay, you told me what it isn't. What is it? It is when the eternal son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, added humanity to his deity. He never became less God, but he added a human nature to his divine nature. And so became one person with two distinct natures functioning together in perfect harmony. If it sounds strange to you, consider that in a sense, every human is one person with two natures. Each inherited from their parents, and every child is fully the son of a daughter or the, of each parent. Or the son or daughter of each parent. So in a sense, you are half your dad and you are half your mom. Completely, right? You got half of each, each DNA. You may look a little more like your mom, or a little more like your dad. Or maybe there's a genetic trait that's kind of weasels its way to, to be more dominant in there. But you are half of your mom and half of your dad. And so in essence, when we look to Jesus, he is half in himself. But yet you are full, I'm sorry, so you're half your mom, half your dad, but yet you are fully part of their DNA, correct? And so in a sense, Jesus, fully God, fully man, right? Yet the full DNA, he was the full part, right? Does that make sense? Am I explaining right? Okay. All right. So a few thoughts on this, you guys, a few thoughts on that definition, right? Jesus did not gain our sin nature, okay? So when he took on the man, when he took on full man, yet retaining that godhood, he did not take on our sin nature, where you and I, we are born human, but yet born with a sin nature, okay? The human being that you are was not meant to be sinful, right? It was not meant to be sinful. If you think about it, when God created, when he created Adam and Eve in the garden, there was no sin, was there? They were made pure. They were made whole. They were made in the, in the, you know, in the image of God. And so in that, there was no sin, it was not until the sin nature was put upon that humanity that it's carried on through the generations. So because Jesus was not born of a man, because that part of, of his DNA did not exist and just born of woman, and the Bible does talk about in multiple places that, that, the, that the DNA of man, the seed of man, is what passes on sin. And so because not born of that man, he did not inherit that sin nature. So yet being fully man, yet fully God. and In essence, you guys, he was... The closest thing to Adam, and that's why Hebrews and other books talk about him being the second Adam that we would we would ever know, kind of in, in, in our creation. We should also remember that the humanity that Jesus added to his divine nature was not the sinful hum- humanity we commonly know, but the perfect humanity of Adam and Eve. If you look at your own human nature and wonder how it could ever be joined with a divine nature, remember that Jesus' humanity was certainly more compatible with. With deity than ours. <laughs> I mean, like you and I, we, we'll never reach godhood in this life, will we? We'll never reach any type of perfection, any type of sinlessness. No, we won't. Yet Jesus, he was the closest thing to it and he, because he was born from the, from the Holy Spirit, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, without that sin nature, he was more godlike. Even in his humanity, he was godlike. Finally, we must remember that Jesus remains incarnated. Okay. Eternally incarnated. When Jesus ascended to heaven, when he died on that Roman cross, was buried for three days and rose again, hanging out with the disciples for a while, he gave them, he gave them the great commission, go out and make disciples of all the nations. And he ascended into heaven. Right, the end of, end of the gospels tells us that he ascended and the clouds took him away. In his flesh, with his wounds, we knew that he continued to have the scars, have the holes in his wrists, Right? He, he bears those scars. Acts 7 verse 55 through 56 or First Timothy 2.5 talks about that he did not relinquish his humanity, his human nature when he ascended into heaven. Now he, is fully, now he is still fully God and fully man, but a man in a resurrected body as we will one day have. See, as Jesus took on this incarnated state, he took on fully being man and then ascended to heaven. He sits at the right, th- right hand of the Father, still sinless, yet still holding the flesh still fully God, but yet fully man. Now he's in a resurrected form as one day you and I will be. That's why he could do all kinds of crazy things in the book of Acts, right? Or I mean, sorry, in the end of the gospels there, he could walk into rooms where the doors were locked, you know, or he could, he could kind of just transport places. He had this glorified body. And one day you and I will have that. And I don't know if that speaks to heaven, if we'll be able to like cruise around like all, all like superheroes or something. I don't know, but The idea is that he had this perfected body and he still holds it today. And see, this should speak to you and I, you guys, that that he didn't just die on that cross. He didn't just go through the batters and the bruises of the the sin that that he took on for you and I and then just kind of left it here and now he sits in, in heaven never holding those scars again, but he holds those scars for all eternity. He went through that incarnation knowing that he would forever be in that state, that he would forever hold that state So that you and I would know this God that we serve. The intimacy of the incarnation for you and I. So why is all this important, you guys? If Jesus were not fully man, he could not be a substitute for the punishment of man deserves. If he were not fully God, his sacrifice would never be enough. If Jesus is not fully God and fully man, we are lost to sin. So this is all important because as we d- dissect and we define the Incarnation, you guys, and we understand that He is fully God, fully man, if it had not happened as it did, like to every specific, to every T being crossed and I being dotted, like the cross would not have mattered for you and I. We would be lost to our sin. We would, there would be no forgiveness of sins. There would be no propitiation. There would be no, no, no supplement and no, no putting in front of God's wrath between him and our sin, nature. There were That great chasm between us and creator, between creation and creator, between perfect and imperfect, between broken and whole, would never have been filled. It couldn't have been. There's multiple ways to look at this. If, if Jesus was not fully God, and yet God sent this man to the cross, how cruel of a God would we serve? Because that man could not have bore the sins of all humanity on his shoulders, could he have? Nor would he have been perfect as a, as a perfect spotless lamb, as he talks about in the Old Testament. This, this sacrifice would have been null. It would have just been the, the act of a corrupt and cruel God. But it means so much more when we see that God gave of himself, put on flesh, humbled himself to become man, to go through everything that you and I would go through in this earth, and yet die on a cross, taking all the sins of humanity and, and becoming our righteousness. It means a lot more, doesn't it? The incarnation says that man really is made in the image of God. You ever thought about that? Like where the Bible talks about that we're made in God's image. Like, if God, is, if God isn't like this gender, right? Like, he's neither male nor female, and you know, he's not this big white man with a long white beard sitting on this throne. Like cartoons are wrong, guys, I'm sorry. Right? that's not God. <laughs> like, what does he look like? how are we made in his image is it just our character is it that we can we can have emotion and we care and we love and we want to give and in our purest states and our most honest states we, we would lay down our lives for each other and die, and like truly like lay down our lives for each other we would live and love for each other is that god's character is that what it means i don't know it's kind of cool to think about but the, the incarnation tells us if god can become man genesis 1:26 is creation like then then we are made in his image the incarnation says that our problem is not our humanity, but our fallenness. To say I'm only human is wrong, but Jesus was fully human, yet perfect. It is more accurate to say I'm only fallen. And you guys, a society, you're growing up in a place where the world's telling you you're the virus. You know that? There's huge councils that the UN put on, puts on and, and big scientists that get together that say the, the biggest problem in the world right now is that we need to, we need to eradicate three-fourths of the population of the earth. We need to decrease our population by three-fourths. Think of the absolute genocide that that would be. So you're growing up in a society of secularism that tells you that you're the virus. You're the problem. Being human is is the problem of this world. You guys, it's not true. That's a lie from hell. You are not the problem. Sin is the problem. The brokenness of man, the brokenness of sin, the brokenness of of our world is the problem. And see, Jesus comes to make it all new. Not just us, but creation. See, the thing is, you guys, you as a human are worth everything to God. And see, the incarnation tells us that. It shows us that. You're not the virus. (laughs) You're not. Being human isn't the problem. Being human is beautiful. It is. We're being raised in a shame culture where you and who you are and the way you think and your body, it's all shameful. And the world will take it and turn turn it inside out and they'll make it grotesque. But when God looks upon you, and when we look upon humanity and who we are as this created being in the image of God, we can say, no, man, being human is special. There's nothing else like us. God didn't create anything else like us. We are. We're even above the angels, Hebrews tells us. We're we're, we're special in God's eyes. He's given us free will and choice, and time and time again has shown us his love and his grace to the point of giving himself. So the Incarnation teaches us that That we're important to God. That being human isn't the problem, but our fallen, broken nature. The incarnation is important because it tells us of his great love and compassion for man. We can understand why man would want to be God, but we cannot understand why God would want to be man. The incarnation means there is a God in heaven who knows what we go through, not only in theory, but in actual practice, he knows. Think about that. How many men through history have wanted to be God? Got guys like Mussolini or Hussein who have built literally 10-story uh, you know, pictures of themselves, like hanging in their cities, making themselves God, these antichrists. Right? Statues in, in communist Russia of Mussolini in every town mass-produced so everyone knows who's in charge. These men make themselves God, and we see it, and what happens every time? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. But that God would want to be man. I don't even want to be myself most days. But yet God would want to be man so that I could relate to him and know, not just in theory, not just in this concept, but in actual truth, that he knows me and knows exactly what I'm going through. It means that God does not ask of us what he did not do himself. He does not ask of us what he has not done himself. That's what makes Jesus this, this ultimate example for us that we can look to his life we can look to the gospels we can look all the way from his birth this miraculous birth to his amazing beautiful death on the cross to his resurrection from the dead we can look at that entire narrative of his life and go I want to be like that I want to look down Josh Shively's life 20 30 40 years from now and I just want to look more like Jesus every step of the way because the, our God of heaven knows us and cares for us and did literally move heaven and earth to show that he cares and loves us. You guys, this is the beauty of the incarnation. This is the beauty of that virgin birth. And hopefully next time you hear a song, maybe on Christmas Eve service or on the radio and talks about that virgin birth on that holy night right where the angels did sing. <laughs> When next time you hear that, you understand more, man. That's not just some wacky virgin birth, but that's the incarnation of God himself becoming man for me. Isn't that beautiful, guys? Mm-hmm. This is what Christmas is about. Again, it's not the fluff, right? It's not the hallmark. <laughs> but it's the beauty of Jesus. It's the beauty of Jesus, you guys. It's the beauty of the incarnation, our God saying, hey, humanity, I love you so much. I love you so stinking much.
0: Calvary Monterey's Youth Ministries meet on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Monterey. Both middle school and high school students are welcome. Come on out. You belong here. And I promise, we don't bite.